Well, good morning to you. If you please find Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. If you're a guest with us, you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be behind me. But if you are a guest and you come back, know that uh, we will be in the Word of God every Sunday. And we're in a series right now in the book of Philippians, and we're going to be continuing in chapter 2, the scriptures that reveal to us from beginning to end that Savior that was foretold, that would come, that would undo all the evil in the world and offer salvation to all who would believe and we know is Jesus Christ, these scriptures that point us to him and instruct us and gives us examples of how to live like him as a result. Philippians chapter two, and I wanna ask you this morning, do you like a good impression? Aren't impressions fun when someone impersonates somebody else? whether it's a, a late night comic impersonating a celebrity or a politician, whether it's a child impersonating mom or dad. If you're mom or dad, that one's not quite as fun, is it? Whether it's a, a person that you know well or someone that you only know of, some people are really good at impersonations and they can be quite hilarious. Well, it's a great honor when someone impersonates you I was the youth pastor here for several years at Sailorville, and we had costume parties at our church, and over the years, a couple of students decided to come as yours truly, me, <laughs> which was an honor, but at the same time, if someone does an impression of you, it's a little bit scary at the same time. As you sit back and you kind of laugh nervously as you watch, you think, you think I'm just a flannel and a beard, huh? Is that all you think I am? But then you sit back and they see what things they perceive of you, what do they notice of you, and say, these guys were good. It was disturbingly accurate. They had perceived me in a certain way, and it can be scary to see how is my life perceived? How can I be summed up in an impersonation? It's not the whole of who you are, but it describes your characteristics and what you are like according to other people. Well, this morning and over next week as well, we're going to be looking at two men, a description of these men, a depiction of who they are described in just a few sentences. And they are men worthy of our imitating. And I asked this morning if we are like these men that we'll read about in just a moment. And as we'll find together that if we are, this is how we truly experience joy, what this letter to the church in Philippi is all about. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want joy? Don't you want to possess that joy in any circumstance? Well, these men are going to give us some insight into that. In chapter 2, verse 19, the apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of him. For I have no one who's like him, who will genuinely, did you catch that word? Genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For all seek their own interest, not those of Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How was a son with the father? He has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So just to bring things back into context of of where we've been over the last several weeks, Paul is calling the church of Philippi in his absence at the end of chapter one to live lives worthy of the gospel. That is to line their lives up in such a way with the price that has been paid for them through Jesus Christ. And the way that you live unified in Christ is by pursuing humility together. That's the only way that unity in the church is going to be achieved. And Paul lays out the glorious example of Jesus Christ, the God-man, equal with God, was God himself, yet humbles himself, leaving us an example to follow, and therefore, as a result of Christ's humble example, our response should be to live out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Not to work for it, we already possess it through faith if we know Christ, but to live it out as Christ works within us, changing our desires and making us more like him. And we saw last week, one of those ways that we live out our salvation is to not murmur and complain. And as we do that, we shine out as lights in a world that is full of murmuring and complaining. We stand out distinctly different in a crooked generation. We were meeting in our cell group just last week, and for those of you who are new, our cell group is our home groups that meet and we discuss the message and we grow in Christ together and we have community together. And we were talking about this, not murmuring and complaining is how you stand out in the world. And a couple of our members facetiously said, oh, that's all you have to do, huh? That's it, that's really simple. All I got to do is not murmur and complain all, none of the time. Really easy to do. And then one of them said, that's why he gives Jesus as an example. Because nobody can actually do that. But then we read on and we get into this text. And we see that, yes, Jesus is the ultimate example, and though not perfect examples, he gives to us guys, human beings, just like you and I, who are actually living their lives worthy of the gospel and living this way, giving us some hope for today. Listen to this. Godliness is possible for you and me. Godliness is possible for you and Me, it's achievable in this lifetime. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that good to know? But some of us, we live as such defeatists in this life. Oh, I will never have a consistent time with God. I will never quit my alcohol abuse. I'll never stop looking at pornography. I'll never stop being depressed. My marriage will never be healthy. I'll never stop doubting. I will never be a bold witness. I will never be able to forgive. I will never be able to get over my past. I'll never, never, ever be able to do that. And you're constantly living in defeat. You need to transfer your defeat. You need to focus on the one who's defeated everything. Death, 
the grave, sin, yes, the sin of your own life, giving you the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to walk in the newness of life. Oh, stop living in defeat and look at these examples today. The godliness is achievable for you. Do you believe that? You can't do it in your own strength. It's not possible in your own strength, but it is attainable as you work with God through the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in him. And it's been pointed out that Timothy shows us the mindset of Christ and what it looks like in a real life. Well, who's Timothy? Who is this guy? Many of you are probably familiar with who he is, but some of you perhaps not. Well, Timothy, we look in the book of Acts chapter 16, and we see Paul when he first meets Timothy in the book of Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul came down to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He's like, this guy has got to come with me. He took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul finds him on his missionary journey, is so impressed with Timothy that now 10 years later, he's Paul's closest and like a son in the faith to Paul, his traveling Partner, and now Paul, writing Philippi, is in under house arrest, and here's his plan. Remember, he's a little bit concerned that his work in Philippi was wasted, that it was in vain. So his desire is to send Timothy on a journey to take a round trip to from Rome to Philippi and back again, so that Paul may be cheered or made happy with the news of how the Philippian church was doing. Now he has every intention of, of bringing Timothy back. That's why he loves Timothy so very much. He doesn't want to be without him, but he sends him along to the church. Now Timothy, if you've read the book of 1 Timothy, which is written to him, he's famously known for being looked down on because of his youthfulness. Paul says, don't let anyone despise you or look down on you because you're young. He was known for being looked down on. But this morning, I want to present to us that Timothy is our example that we look up to. And I want us to look at looking up or look up in our own lives to Timothy as an example of Christ-likeness. Let's read verse 20 and 21 again. It says, for I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So we look up to Timothy this morning as a model of genuine care. We look up to Timothy this morning as a model of genuine care. Paul says, I have no one else like him. That is not to say that there aren't other people who don't care for others, but Paul says, what I have right now, there is no one else that even comes close to who Timothy is. He loves you, church in Philippi, just as much as I do. 
He says, all seek out their own interests. None of them pursue the interests of Christ. Now, if you look at chapter two, and in verse four, I skipped over it, but I wanna show you that this is so much what Paul is talking about. He's looking up at verse four of chapter two. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And then if you look back at what we just read about Timothy, for they all seek their own interest, not the interest of Christ. Not Timothy, though. This is how he is actually living. All seek their own interests. Now, in general, that's probably a true statement, isn't it? All of us default to seeking our own interest was out in Ankeny just this last week, and it's crazy out there. You know that. It's Christmas time. If you've driven around, if you've been in any of the stores, and I tell you what, when I walk into TJ Maxx, my first thought isn't, there's a lot of people in here. I wonder how I can make this experience great for everybody else. <laughs> no. That's not our natural default, is it? It's like, what can I do to get as quick as I can, find the cashier with the shortest line, and get out of here? That's not our natural tendency, and Paul knows it. But he's also comparing it to the people that are also in Rome at the same time. You remember from chapter one? Paul's talking about those who preach Christ from rivalry and selfish ambition. He's saying even the guys that are preaching Christ, they're doing it for, their self, for their, themselves, but not Timothy. Everyone else is doing things for them. They're looking out for their own interests, not that of Christ, but not Tim. Paul is saying, do you see this connection? When you seek the interest of others, you're seeking the interest of Christ because that is what his interest was. Concern for others is easy, though, isn't it? When it causes no personal inconvenience for us. He doesn't say, Timothy's gonna come to you and he's gonna be really genuinely concerned for you and everything's going his way. Oh, he says, he's gonna be genuinely concerned for you because that's who he is. When it inconveniences a friend that says, can you come help me? And it's like, oh man, that's really cutting into my Netflix time. That's really cutting into the plans that I have that I was really looking forward to. Can we make it a little more convenient? Then I will be genuinely concerned for you. Now listen to this. Godliness, most of the time, if not all the time, usually isn't convenient. It hardly ever is, but it's what God desires, and that, what you find, brings you the joy that you're looking for. What's inconvenient in the moment, you see the joy that comes of it, of reordering ourselves to living like Christ. You know, and I find too that it's really easy to put others first who I don't know very well or don't know me very well. You know what I'm saying? That one that you still feel like they don't know you well enough to know who you really are so you act really kind to them. Man, but I find myself with my wife with my family, well, they already know who I am. I got nothing to impress them. How much more those who are close to you? Speaking of TJ Maxx, I was there with my wife, and I saw someone from church, and I had a terrible attitude about being at the store, and then I see someone from church, hey! <laughs> right? And instead, I was like, well, why aren't you doing that same attitude to your wife? 
Timothy is saying this is who Timothy is, not just when he's trying to put on a good face. How are you with your brother and sister that knows you well, that you live with, with your mom, with your dad, with a roommate, with a spouse, not just those who you know well, or better yet, not just those who don't know Christ. I think sometimes we think, oh, I gotta be a good testimony, right? You do need to be. But Paul is talking about Timothy going to other Christians, a church. He says, how much more should we be genuinely concerned for other brothers and sisters in Christ who know us? Oh, God, I want to be so much like Timothy, and I'm not. But I desire to be. This is who I, I want to be. And did you notice that when Paul is describing Timothy, notice what he doesn't describe about him. Notice that he doesn't say, when it comes to gospel ministry, Timothy is a boss. He was raised in Greek culture, but also knows the Jewish customs because his mom is a Jew. He knows the Jewish scripture and knows how to relate those to a Greek audience. He's the guy that perceivingly is good at everything that makes you sick when you hear about how good he is. But Paul doesn't say any of that. What's he say instead? He doesn't talk about his skills, but talks about his character. And he says, this is who I'm sending to you. A guy who genuinely cares for you. Do you see the point here? The greatest gift that you can give to someone is not your skills, but to show them that you genuinely care. That's what we long for, and that's what Paul is saying here. I've been rebuked in that in the past. I know I've talked with you about that before, relying on gifts, but do I have a genuineness of care for people? I don't just want to be a preacher. I want to be a pastor that truly shepherds and has a great care and love for those, not just using gifts and then walking away. I had a former pastor one time. He wasn't the greatest preacher ever, but he knew my name. He was there when we lost a child in miscarriage and cried with us. He was there at the hospital when the baby, the new baby was born. I didn't care about his giftedness in those moments. I cared that he cared about me. And some of you this morning, you have that feeling of, I have, I have so few things to offer. I have so few gifts, so it seems. Let me encourage you this morning. You can have such a, a larger impact and influence in this world for being genuinely concerned for other people. Even if you have the fewest gifts of anyone, your influence can be huge if you can live this way that Timothy lies out for us. Verse 22 says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel I hope then just to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. As we look to Timothy, secondly, we see him as a model of proven faithfulness. We see a model of proven faithfulness. The church in Philippi, they know Timothy. He was there when the church started. And if you can imagine when they're reading this letter out loud to the church, the people are like freaking out when they hear Timothy's coming. Like, oh, <laughs> we love that guy. Whoa, he cares about us. 
that said about you when someone hears that you're coming? I said, oh, geez, at least we're going to catch up on our gossip while they're here. I'm going to find out everything that's going on bad in their life. Would it be uh, encourage us to be cheered to hear that you are coming? Timothy, he says, you know his proven worth. That means proof of testing, to be tested and come out victorious. It's been 10 years here. He doesn't get this reputation overnight, and neither will you and I. It takes time to develop this reputation. It means making mistakes, repenting of those mistakes, turning from them and progressing to build this kind of reputation and faithfulness over time for the long haul. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm not the one that's cheered when they hear I'm coming. I want it to be. There's hope for you. It didn't happen overnight for Timothy, but it was proven over time. Paul says, you've seen him. So have I. He's like a son to me. I've watched him. He's the real deal in every area. I know that he can be timid. I know that he has a hard time sharing sometimes. He's still tempted to lust, and I'm telling him to flee these things. I know that he's young. You know that he's not perfect, but you can be sure, and he's proven to you that he cares so much for you. And that's why you're overjoyed to see him. He's proven over the long haul. That's what Paul says to him in the book of of Timothy. One of my favorite verses. He says, he's talking about people looking down on him because of his youth and the, the city of Ephesus. He says, listen, practice these things. All the things I've already told you in godliness, immerse yourself in them so that all might see your, what's that word? Progress. Paul could have said anything there. And this is even five years after this is written here. And Paul is saying, Timothy, practice and immerse yourself in godliness, not so that everyone will see that you're perfect, so that everyone will see that you are progressing. He's a model to us of genuine concern, of faithfulness over time, but also a model of the Christian life. Not perfection, but in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, always progressing and growing in faithfulness over time. How about you? Are you progressing? People who look in on your life, like Paul in the church in Philippi was looking in on Timothy. Do they say, hey, This guy's still needy. He does, this girl doesn't have it all together, but they're progressing in the faith. They're progressing in their relationship with Christ. So if you're feeling like, man, I feel like there's sometimes I'm not growing, keep going. It's gonna feel like that sometimes. The goal is progress, not arrival. You won't arrive until you see Jesus and your salvation is complete. But in the meantime, you keep working out that salvation over time in progress. So imitation, it is good. It's necessary. Paul says we grow in godliness as we keep looking to godly examples. Look what he says a little bit later on in Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me. 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is saying, these people are here. Yes, we all want to be like Christ, but there's also people that we look to, and if we can model their lives, we'll look like Christ. Who are you imitating? Who are you modeling your life after? Is it a Christ-like example? Who's imitating you? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Who's looking like you and is the product of that person that's imitating you looking like Jesus? If you're a parent, do your kids see you studying the word of God, speaking of him, talking about your flaws, talking about ways that God is still progressing you? Do they see that? Do your friends see that? Is your life worthy of following If you hang around somebody for some time, you'll start to act like them, won't you? Most of us in this room know Chuck DeClean, our pastor who's down in Africa right now, but our evangelism pastor here at the church. If you spend any time with him, you'll start talking like him. I spent time with him, and I find myself calling people my friend very often. So you've been around Chuck, that's his standard greeting. Hello, my friend. That's what he does. And I find myself doing that without even thinking about it, like, oh, what did she just do that for? Because I've been spending time with him. You know, we've said this before, and it's worth repeating here at Sailorville, the most powerful message in the world is the gospel. That is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which we are the foremost. He died and rose again so that all who would believe can know God, have their sins forgiven, the righteousness of God applied. That's the greatest message in the world. But how powerful is it when you have a life that backs up that message? a life that lives it out, that you know the gospel and you're striving to live it out. Matthew Harmon says, the most powerful form of teaching is content not only explained, but beautifully illustrated. Does your life beautifully illustrate the gospel? When people look in, do they see, okay, so that's what the gospel is. That's what it looks like. There's an important word here to the church in Philippi. It's the word genuine. He says he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. It's not fabricated. This is who he really is. He's not seeking his own interest. He truly does care for you. Isn't that what we want? We want to be genuine godly people, not fabricated godliness, which isn't godliness at all. So we need constant reminders. I've heard it said before that you can't be transformed by what you can't remember. You can't be transformed by what you can't remember. So we always have to be reminded of God's word. We always have to be filling ourselves up with it. This passage is very near and dear to me because when I really started to study the Bible on my own, I started in the book of Philippians. And I took this passage after reading it with my wife and I wrote down on a card, an index card. I wrote down, Brad, be like Timothy, genuinely concerned for others. And I stuck that in my pocket. Well, at the time I was working at a country club, working in the golf area. 
And every time I'd reach into my shorts, I'd feel that card in there. Sometimes on break or at lunch, I'd take it out and I'd read it and I'd be reminded. And I found myself, as I was reading God's word and being instructed by it throughout my day, meditating on it, know what happened? I started actually genuinely to care for other people. So last week as well, I found out that there was something that I was really looking forward to this week. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because you would think it was stupid and you totally missed the illustration, okay? But I was really looking forward to it personally and I found out that it was canceled. This just happened on Friday and I went home and I thought, okay, this is time to put this in practice. Because I'm going to feel like, hey, things aren't going my way right now. Therefore, I have the right to not genuinely be concerned. I want other people to be concerned about me. So what I did is every half hour on my phone, I had a reminder pop up that said, Brad, be like Timothy. Every half hour that popped up as I felt, oh, man, I just wish that would have happened. The kids are driving me nuts. The house isn't the way I want it to be. And it pops up, boom, be like Timothy. That's right. It's not about me. It's about being genuinely concerned for other people. Godliness is possible for us. You can be a godly example, and many of you are, and I thank God for that as I look up to you. But you can't do it in your own strength. I was talking to a new believer this week over coffee, And he was describing how he came to know Christ. And this is what he said. I think it's very insightful for all of us, especially if you've been in the faith for a long time. He said, I found out Christianity was what I always wanted it to be, but never thought it was. Listen to that. I found out Christianity was what I always wanted it to be, but never thought that it was. I thought it was only for really good people. I always looked, there was some guy that was always doing it better than I was. That's who Christianity's for. The guy that's got it more together than I do. He says, I would do something and someone was always doing it better. And I always felt like I could never, ever get to God. So Christianity wasn't for me. So what I longed for was a Christianity for screw-ups like me. Someone that doesn't have it all together. And then I got it in the Bible and I realized that's exactly what it was. It's for people who know they don't have it all together. It's for screw-ups. It's not for the good people. It's for everybody, because there isn't anyone that's good. The message of the gospel says, I can't be good enough. Jesus has to be good for me. And this is what he said. And when I realized that, that there's nothing left that I have to pay, that motivated me to godliness. It makes me want to live for Jesus. And this is what we must realize. If we're going to be genuinely concerned, not fabricated, but genuinely concerned about the welfare of others, it must begin with Christ in the gospel. And that I've come through faith because I was a screw-up I'm still a screw-up. I need Jesus every single day, but Jesus completely paid my debt, and I owe nothing. So I'm not being genuinely concerned for others to try to gain God's approval, but I'm genuine to others because I already have God's approval. That's why I want to be godly. That's why we want to live this way. That's why we look to 
Timothy as our example, but we don't look to Timothy as an example for salvation because if you live like Timothy and you align your life like Timothy's and you don't know Jesus, you miss salvation completely. That is why we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the greatest example who lived perfectly and the only savior. For all the screw-ups out there, that's whether you realize it or not, that's you. That's the guy talking up here this morning. And Jesus Christ never once sinned, never gave in to temptation, although he had it. Humbled himself death on a cross. And you know what's amazing about it? This is how we find joy, by lining our lives up with Christ, pursuing humility, waiting for him to exalt us. This is how we experience joy. Joy isn't about pursuing me, what I want, what I think is gonna make me happy, the experiences I need, the stuff that I need, that's what's gonna make me happy. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says about Jesus. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Look what is, the cross is preceded by joy because he knew what the result of it was. He would be exalted. He would have to go through shame, endure the pain of the cross so that he would be exalted to the right hand of God. And he said, this is what I do. I humble myself to experience true joy. And when we line our lives up with Jesus, that's how we find true joy. Because isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we desire? Joy? Do you have it? It comes not from saying everyone else needs to be genuinely concerned for my welfare, but that I want to be genuinely concerned for others. And I want to be committed to faithfulness for the long haul. I'm not going to be changed overnight. I'm not going to be ever reach perfection, but I want it day by day, moving forward, striving to be like Christ, following Timothy's example so that it can be said of me, he cares, she cares for you. And that's what people desire. They want to know that you care. Just like Jesus cares for you so much this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for the joy. Not the convenience of following you, but the joy that comes in following you. As we think about this Christmas season, as we think about following Christ and all that that entails, we look to Jesus, our ultimate example. We look to his sacrifice for our sins. We look to his resurrection, and we don't live in defeat. We live in victory. We live from our victory of what you've accomplished, and so I pray for the one here that's feeling defeated. It doesn't think they can ever grow in godliness Satan is accusing them. He's putting them down and he's saying, you'll never measure up. And our response to Satan is actually, today I have the righteousness of Christ. I measure up, but not because of what I've done, but because of Jesus. I pray that that one would grow in godliness, would grow 
to care for others. And I, God, I pray that we'd all progress and grow in you. And I pray for the one that's striving for these things but not attached to Jesus, that didn't begin with Christ. That's not joy. Constantly looking for what's gonna make them joyful and not finding it. Because first we must be satisfied in Christ, which enables us to live for others. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.